Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Howdy. <laughs> we are here and we are filled with wonder and uh what are we filled with wonder i'm curiosity inspiration ready to learn uh many would say um today though we have two topics of course as always (laughs) as always yep that's why you came here but today i want to give you another history lesson thomas does history part 17 today we are talking about cartography Ah, the creation of maps, maps, Google maps, Google maps, but we're going <laughs> to give it a little bit more backstory. History. So, Give me yes. history. Since the, since the beginning of time, the minute we learned how to write, we decided to make maps in the beginning. Maps were created for both economic reasons and religious reasons. Now the first map dates back to the Babylonians. The Babylonians created a map that not really a map that we know today it was more of a it was a circle with squares and triangles and other circles within it it's kind of not actual outlines of countries and land masses but more of the symbolic idea of them. representations i mean it was very crude they didn't even include their neighbors probably because they didn't like them <laughs> babylonians and the egyptians didn't get along well but it was also Things that weren't necessarily there, like religious locations and religious matters, they were included on this map because that's what the people knew. So if I were to tell you that there was an island off the coast back in the day, back in Babylonian times, you just have to believe me. There's no way to prove me wrong. So it's included on the map. That's how all these things started to show up on these old Babylonian maps and Egyptian maps. People were like well there's this location here or the religious land up in the north or the holy land in the south well you just drew them on your map because you assume they're real if they're in the stories why not so as time went on the greeks then created the first map in a style that we would recognize today this had the three major continents on it at the time that surround the only three uh europe asia and libya so Kind of, kind of three continents. Was it correct, like uh, size-wise? It was only the, what the Greeks saw. <laughs> so okay, so the, the empire. Yes. It was their the reach of their empire. Makes but sense. This actually begins the trend of Europe and Asia being two separate countries, two separate continents. Yeah. The Greeks separated them with a river and then surrounded all three continents with a giant body of water like nothing else existed, like the rest of Asia. It's like that classic you see it in movies, like outside of the known map is the unknown uncharted territory. That's that's what it was to them. Because it didn't, it didn't matter outside of their own empire, outside of their reach, because it wasn't in their grasp. So why, why, why document even? it? Exactly. If they have even explored outside of their reaches. So later, it was actually discovered to be a sphere. So the Greeks... You know, they understood philosophy. They saw the sun, the stars, and they're like, oh, we don't live on a flat plane. We live on a sphere. Now, as the conquests continued... Flat earthers would uh, disagree. We'll get into them later. (laughs) We have the Greeks who are exploring, and they're starting to meet this civilization off in the east, the Chinese. Now, the Chinese in the Far East, they were starting to show up on Roman maps. Now, the Chinese were also creating maps ever since 4th century BCE. These were used to document rivers 
end for making uh, land, like segregating land for economic purposes to like make sure farmland was not encroached on. Now, sadly, we reached the medieval maps. In medieval times, uh, the countries kind of just went super Christian and super spiritual, and they started to think the earth was flat. Here we go. And that uh, that maps were more symbolic than actual physical maps, so that became an uh, issue. There was the creation of something called the T.O. map. T.O. Which is... A T inside an O, where above the T is Asia, to the left of the T is Europe, and to the right of the T is Africa. And all around it is the global ocean that everyone lives on. Well, that just sounds wrong. And in between it all, in the, what makes up the T is the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a little interesting. It's I don't more, think the Mediterranean is the is the center of the world. No. but according, In their eyes, it was, I guess. Yeah. So Arabian cartographers, though, we're going to the Middle East now. They were starting to conquest around as we're moving through time. And as they conquest, they discovered more of Central Asia and Central Africa and kind of started to flush out the maps. Because what's great about cartography is as these maps expand, you know, you can take all you can take from other people's maps. It is a little bit of copyright. And we'll get into that later as well. Well, how would we get to now without a little bit of copyright on, on maps, right? We all exactly. have to share information. It's a lot of work to do it all it's yourself. It's a lot of work. So here comes the Renaissance, the age of discovery. So because there's such a rush and desire to explore and increased interest in the sciences and cartography appeared. So now we have paper maps and people need to go to Asia. They wanted clear routes and of course when you think of a map back in the day it's all rolled up in a scroll it's a rectangle on a page but as time has gone on is the rectangular map the right way to view it are we talking globes now now we're talking globes yeah i like globes globes are cool i want one in my room i used to have one visualize it so the globe is actually the best way to view a map because nothing is distorted and everything is one for one now, since paper maps were used for so long, there needed to be a way to create a sphere and turn it flat. So in order to do that, people would use projections. So if you were to take a flat surface and then, then take all the lines on a sphere and project them onto the flat surface, that's how you got your maps. Now, so... In order to make maps, people had to use projections. Now, the most popular projection of them all was the Mercator projection. Now, the Mercator projection is, Matt, you probably learned about this in school. That's the map that you see, and that's the map on Google Earth, the Atlantic Ocean in the middle. Is Mercator the, the company or name behind This is it? the is man it? in the 16th okay. century who was creating maps for navigation. Ah. Now, the whole point of the Mercator projection is because of the grid lines on it. Okay. And they start narrow in the middle and they kind of get taller as they move up. This stretches land masses, but keeps their relative shape and also... On a flat surface. On a flat surface, okay. which is important. Also for navigation, you could just draw a line and using only your compass in the north arrow, you are able to tell what direction you're heading. 
Now, it may not be the fastest route to the new world, but it was a reliable way to navigate. And when people are exploring, you don't you don't want to get lost on the high seas. No, I'm thinking like say you're looking at a globe and you take a string and put it from one point to the other point. That's not going to be a perfect line, more or less, right? If you're going to put it, if you're going to take the line that's on the globe and, and put it on put a, flat a flat surface, surface it, it's not a straight line. No, it's going to curve. It's going to curve. So yeah. if you take a straight line and put it on a globe, it's also going to curve. So the thus the Mercator map that we all know. Yes. Now, the problem with the Mercator map is it does preserve the shapes of the countries, but it creates problems where um, countries are stretched. Does it distort the size of countries? Because because I know that a lot of maps that we even modern like Google Google Maps, the continents aren't the correct size. Correct. Exactly. According to the map, if you to compare alaska to australia on the mercator map they look exactly the same size except they're not at all same thing with greenland and africa on the mercator map they look to be the same size but in real life one is one eleventh the size of the other that's, yeah that's yeah, greenland that by the way that's that's the small one now you you can solve this by getting a map that is bigger and not bigger but compressed so if you want to have a map that didn't really regard the size, well, the shape of it, but cared more about the size, you could use the Gal-Peter projection, which it squishes everything. Greenland becomes like a squished pancake, but is proportional to the rest of the Earth. Interesting. Now, I want to I wanna look at maps side by side and compare and see. There's a lot of different projections out there. There's... People have been mathematically trying to solve how to do it, even though there is no perfect way to show a curved surface on a flat, flat projection of said curved surface. Yeah. Now, the Mercator, is it has the curved edges, right, on either side? The Mercator is flat, but there are other projections that have the curved edges on the side. Yeah. Okay, so I have seen a couple different projections. That's interesting. So a globe. you're saying a globe is the best way. It's the most accurate. A globe is the best way because you see what's there but it's easy if you're if you have a scrolled map you know say you're navigating the ocean because you can draw lines across it that's what you see in like the movies where they have a a compass and a a ruler drawing lines on their course in the west or well you can even connect it to modern day the reason that we use the mercator map today on google earth is if it's super zoomed out the size might be stretched but if you zoom in so close there's no distortion and when you see a street that's a right angle in real on paper it's a right angle and in real life it's a right angle so the distortion doesn't affect the roadmaps that google maps is that's true roadmaps are important so when it when you're outside it's distorted but when you zoom in close it's it's regular yes that's because i know I'm... on the google map even apple maps you can zoom out and you get a spherical earth but when you zoom in it looks just like a topographical view of perfect Angles, roads, interesting. The more so you know. The map on your phone is a very accurate version. Yes, it's well, it's a Mercator projection, I believe, but it's as close as you're going to get. A variable Mercator projection. Yes, because it does adjust. Are you getting a phone? I'm call? getting a phone call from my dad. What's going on? Why are we so popular? I'll call him back after the episode. Shout out to my dad. Well, those are maps. And Matt, the map cartographer, what do you have? 
map the map cartographer cartography is the art of map science that is correct and cartographers are the ones that make maps that, that make maps very cool i actually wanted to take a class on cartography kind of geo mapping well been cool so people don't really do maps by hand these days but people who do make maps who are very interested are people creating fantasy worlds oh that's interesting uh tolkien um george r r martin they are creating maps for their fantasy worlds and when you create a map you need to know a little bit of cartography yeah so that's it's interesting still, and it's, everyone has a different interpretation when it's a fantastical universe correct exactly that's interesting it's a trend the more you know the more you know maybe maybe it could be a hobby if i have time <laughs> getting a map making or or a small scale potentially essentially architecture you're making maps correct correct and it has to be scaled of course very similar you you probably know i can't i can't go off on that <laughs> all right today spaghetti western do you uh, know it the good bad the ugly exactly exactly so what is it it's a genre of movie of but course specifically i want to talk about the genre of music associated with the movie because it's it's a very unique style of of music insert music here we'll get there and we'll get it in there but um it's <laughs> It's a very distinct sound that's associated with a very distinct style of movie. So, Spaghetti Western, also known as Italian Western or Macaroni Western, is a broad subgenre of Western films that emerged in the mid-1960s, like you said, The Good, The Bad, The Ugly, um, during that period. Um, in the wake of Sergio Leone's filmmaking style and international box office success. So, it was a unique style, very low budget, as I'll get to in a minute, that it- kind of took off. Also, in my eyes, it will forever be known as macaroni style. You like it macaroni style? Absolutely. Not spaghetti? spaghetti Western? No, macaroni Western any day. Macaroni. I like spaghetti because when I first heard it, I didn't, I didn't understand, the, understand why it was called spaghetti, but the term was used by American critics in other countries because most of the um, Westerns were produced and directed by Italians. Oh. So insert any Italian dish before Western. So it could be lasagna Western, ravioli Western. Penne Western, Manicotti Western. Now that's the type of Western I look for. Yeah, it's a it's a rich filling, hearty, carbohydrate rich meal of a Western film. So Westerns, American Western films, we can all picture it. Big corrals of cowboys running across, big orchestral scores. Can you picture it? Yes. Just I, classic I hear it in films. My head. You can hear it in your head. Now the Spaghetti Western was right after the. Um, Dollars Trilogy by Sergio Leone and the music was composed by Ennio Mericoni in 1964. So that came out with the Fistful of Dollars or A Fistful of Dollars in 1966 for a few dollars more and then the good, the bad, and the ugly after that. So then it influenced generations of filmmaking after that for this style. When I said low budget, they were really cutting corners. So they were filming in... Either a lot of the producers and directors were Italian, so they were filming in northern Italy or also Spain. So that's where you get those lush landscapes that look like you're out in the American West. And they're the American West actors, you know? You get um, Clint Eastwood in those classic films, who's an American, but it's directed by an Italian director. So you're getting that Italian influence, thus the the Italian dish film. So the music really came from a low-budget set where the... orchestral score was unavailable from so many people so they just simply got a guy with a guitar in a room composing a cinematic soundtrack 
which is really unique. And I watched a great video on this this week of why it's such a cool sound because there's a lot of rules being broken when you're playing that specific style of music. It's almost like you're playing a musical number, but it's only one instrument. And the specific sound of the instrument happens to be heavy reverb, which is like echo, a very twangy Western sound. And in the video I watched, they broke it down and we can we can link the video it's a reverb.com video they broke the the sound down and if you take out certain parts it sounds like completely different music it sounds like country if you add percussion it sounds like surf rock of the 1960s if you add the gunshot and the whip it's completely cowboy music it's just a completely different genre but all the influences are still there so with the birth of the genre and the low budget, we get into a big appeal to the masses. So a bunch of films are coming out, and you can still see the influence in modern films. Um, a lot Tarantino, Tarantino. A lot, there's Philippe. a lot of spaghetti western, or for your sake, we're gonna call it macaroni western. Of course, um, the music reflects the themes that you're seeing in the movie. So you're hitting a major chord on the guitar and it sounds happy. All of a sudden camera pans up to the hilltop, a bandit arises on the top of the hill. What do you hear? A minor chord, something as simple as that with a melody that's bouncing between minor and major throughout the whole film. And subconsciously we're hearing that. So it enhances the storyline. Whereas the orchestral score is kind of just big, grand, majestic to reflect the landscape what reflects the landscape in the specific spaghetti western style is just the it's only one instrument so only one the sound of that instrument can reflect the landscape whereas the actual notes and chords of the guitar reflect the storyline which is very unique so you're breaking a lot of rules playing guitar spaghetti western is even um pulled into modern spaghetti western music is even pulled into modern artists these days that are pulling um, from the style, uh, you hear it in a lot of, um, say, like the Arctic Monkeys and a lot of their music, the intros, interludes. Yeah. A lot of, like, kind of unique artists that are out there that are looking for a new palette of sound pull from the very simplistic style of the spaghetti western, but you're not seeing it as a whoosh, gunshot whistle sound. It's completely different into a modern, almost pop music, but it's a whole new layer because it's so unique. So next time you're watching a Western film, think about the spaghetti Western also. The macaroni Western. The macaroni Western, the lasagna Western. Whatever you want to call it. I want to have, have a movie marathon because it's just so cool. It's such a cool style, everything about it. And the films are just so, they're pretty badass films, you know? Yeah. it's Compared to any, even modern action films, they're just cut and dry this is the good, this is the bad, they're fighting it out, only one can win. Cowboy films are probably mo- some of the most manly, hardcore films out there. You know, can't say no to that. Not at all. And it's cool because it's so old and the trend, we don't really see many Western films these days, do we? No, but they pop up e- They pop up every now and then and they pull influence from the spaghetti style. Right, and I mean you have shows like Westworld that absolutely in a sense are not really a spaghetti western but still set themselves even the imagery is very similar to what they did out in the hills of northern spain filming panning landscapes it has to do with the storyline the landscape and then the characters interaction it's all there and the music just enhances it well i think that is some good learning stuff 
I'm always a fan of the music in movies because they show a genre themselves. Movie music is a very important part that people, a lot of people don't talk about. A lot of people love to talk about. Online, you can find lots of stuff. But well, it enhances it because subconsciously you're hearing it the whole time as you're watching the story. There's people online that you can literally talk to about anything if you want to. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And they will fight you or they will support you. You'll see. Well, I think that is a good way to conclude this episode of Two Top. I feel like we should almost play out to a rounding some spaghetti westerns uh, riding into the sunset music. Absolutely. On our way Cue the out. music. <laughs> As we, Thomas and I are actually recording on horseback right now, riding across a plane. Yeah, you wouldn't know, but believe me, if you could see us, that's what you'd see. But all right, guys, I think that's it for this week's episode, and we'll see you guys next time for another two topics. See ya. This was Two Top, an independently created and run podcast created by Thomas Lance and Matt Burke and produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics.